Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am so excited to have Ryan Hernandez on the show today. And for a little bit of his background, Ryan is still a practicing Catholic, but the experiences of trauma he went through have left him wounded, and he's been on a healing journey and has been active on a podcast to spread awareness on cult abuse and how religious people with good intentions can turn into fanatics. And the name of his podcast is The Truth That Heals Podcast. And I'm really excited to really hear his story because he really came from a group that claimed to be Catholic, but ended up being very culty. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about your experiences. Thank you for having me. Of course. I know we've been talking back and forth on social media about this, so I'm glad we could both find a time that works. But for listeners, could you explain how you got involved with this group? Well, it's in the Catholic Church, there are many different uh, like communities or like, let's say the military. You have mm-hmm. the Air Force, you have the Army, Navy, you have all these expressions and, you know, they're still backing the United States. So in the Catholic Church, you have different communities, like, for example, the Jesuits, the Franciscans, the Salesians, and they have different expressions of living out the gospel. And so there was this new group that was in the Diocese of Los Angeles, which originated from the Philippines, and they were in L.A., and they're what they would do is they would just simply pray with people just you know but not it's not like a a door-to-door kind of thing they would do it amongst the catholics like if they're having a hard time praying they'd help them pray or you know just someone to talk to and listen and i felt very drawn to that as well as the devotion and you know just, just simple basic catholic things so i was drawn to that and seeing their members um, they always seem to be very happy, but it was still a new group. And in the Catholic Church, there is a process where, like the, the Jesuits, like they're like 500 years old, for example. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. how old they are. But once you start a group, that doesn't mean that it is automatically going to be approved by the Vatican. There has to be a process. It has to get scrutinized to make sure that like illegal things aren't happening. And so I joined thinking that this group was a legit group like the other groups that I mentioned before. However, once I joined, 
things started to change and it wasn't exactly what I signed up for. So that's kind of how I, I got involved, but also the founder, he's still alive. And so he would do these retreats in LA and all over the United States, mm -hmm. Australia, Europe. And the way he spoke was like, if you look at other cult leaders is very charismatic and very like fiery and kind of like you have like, like those, those preachers, those pastors. And mm -hmm. so it really got people drawn. It got me drawn like, Oh man, this, this priest is speaking, not like the other priests. This, this guy has balls. So when I joined, I expect the way I felt was that this was a holy group and that everything was legit with the church. But then after a few years, I started to open my eyes and start asking myself, what the hell am I doing here? And it's interesting that you thought it was a legit group. And I'm curious, did they in the beginning, and it sounds like, you know, the priests did kind of make it seem like it was legit the whole like oh we're not a cult i'm not a cult leader just saying that up front like that that's so it seems like a kind of a red flag when you look back on it like hindsight but were there any other things that they try to convince people oh this is legit this is legit well it, it what it is it is slash was legit because they're under the process mm -hmm. they're under the process of the vatican to be uh -huh. to be like um mm -hmm scrutinized yeah. however however when i was in there i started to notice that they were hiding things from the family members uh -huh. they were hiding things from the people who donate money and they were hiding things from the bishops like they will say to one bishop oh yeah uh, everything is okay and then to another bishop you know they won't say anything so there was like a lack of communication it was very mm -hmm. confusing yeah but then like uh, for an example, in Los Angeles, this group got kicked out from the uh -huh. L.A. community, but in the church in general, they can go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so and so they went to another place, uh, Dover, Delaware, and the bishop there might not know what's happening with the bishop in L.A. And so this priest, the founder, Father Bing, is like, hey, can we stay here? Uh, this is our mission. This is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to pray with people. Very simple. And the bishop's like, yeah, that's fine. That seems very, you know, simple enough and no no problem. But then once we go to that, once we go to Dover or wherever it is that we get sent to, uh, there is this lack of transparency. So, so yes, they're kind of are, uh, they sort of are legit in a Catholic sense where, because in, in Catholicism, you can start new communities. Mm -hmm. It's not like starting a new religion. You're starting new communities but the church has to scrutinize and make sure that nothing mm -hmm. um, wrong is happening. But what, what, I, what I'm getting it to is that during like the visitations of the bishop or the Vatican or families, there was a censorship where we had this us versus them mentality. And that, that kind of, that kind of started becoming the red flags on how come we're saying that we're Catholic or that we're Christian and yet we're doing these things that mm. are going against, you know, just being decent human beings. So that was a big red flag for me. I see. So they had that person that was supposed to hold them accountable, but they were avoiding that accountability through lying and different means, basically. Oh, there's a whole group from the Vatican that'll come. There'll be professionals. There'll be mm -hmm. 
um, psychiatrists, canon lawyers, mm -hmm. bishops, and they'll visit and they'll interview the members to make sure that, you know, like they'll in kind of like a crime scene, you know, like mm -hmm. they'll interview a person and ask, like, how are things going? I personally never did that. I never got interviewed. However, there was a coaching that you have to protect the group because you have this us versus them mentality that, um. so that us versus them mentality is that uh, the rest of the church, the rest of society, every other Christian group, everyone else, they're all wrong. But Christ has pretty much chosen this group with the founder, Father Bing, to kind of like be the salvation of the church. So we're, we might be making loopholes or bending the rules, but for them, it's like we're saving souls in the process. So, yeah, we're kind of lying about it. And, yeah, we're saying we're Catholic because we are we're the real Catholics, but we have to play by the rules. So to play by the rules, we got to bend the rules. So it was just these were things which I I completely I completely bought into it. Mm -hmm. Because I joined, I joined mentally, I guess, at 16. And I entered when I was 17. But when I started getting older, I started to kind of connect the dots that something here isn't right. Mm, yes. So you said mentally you got in at 16, but officially joined at 17. So what really even started your interest in that? Well, going back to my childhood, um, I was raised by the Salesians. Uh, they're an Italian group uh, founded by St. John Bosco. And their expression is to teach. I mean, everyone knows Catholics are good at you know teaching kids. Uh, but I, I enjoyed my elementary, my high school uh, with the Salesians, with that group. And so already I had a, a strong... Uh, I felt my heart was really in that, in that realm of, you know, praying and, you know, I would go to downtown LA, I would do uh, food drives with another group. So there are different groups in the Catholic church where you can just, you know, tag along with. And already as a child, I felt this strong, like pull to be of service. Um, so when I got older, uh, I see the I see this group from the Philippines and actually my brother joined. My mm. brother joined when I was probably 12 or 13, 14, I don't know. But he joined and from what I saw from the way he was living it was he was just a missionary. So he just go to different cities, different countries. They pay they pay for him and he just go and pray with people. You know, it's like it, it was nothing nothing wrong with that but then i joined and kind of thinking that this is going to be like every other group and that maybe i'm going to be traveling the world it's going to be fun kind of like a youth group thing and then later on i'm going to study they're going to pay for my studies and maybe i'll do philosophy theology so they give you they give you this idea but then what i got from my brother was that every time he wanted to leave they would just tell him because they want actually they wanted him to study in Australia for the in uh, for mm -hmm. philosophy, but my brother didn't want that life anymore. This is what I, what I got from my brother, and every time he was like, mm, "No, I I think I'm cool. I'm I'm ready to bounce and go home." They would 
they would be like, well, here's a trip to Ireland, you know, er expenses paid, you know, mm -hmm. oh, here's a trip to um, Italy. Here's a trip to Vienna. So like, you know, of course, he's not going to turn that down. It's, yeah. it's a great experience to travel. So I had that idea that when I joined, I would be also traveling and maybe studying later. Um, but that, that was, and now I'm already forgetting the question that you asked. Um, it was basically what led you to joining and oh. you were going through your childhood and your history with Catholicism and how that led you to joining this group. Yes. Yeah, so when I, when I, I saw that my brother was doing all these travels, I thought, well, this group is a little bit, it's different from the other groups because the other groups like the Salesians or Franciscans, they're set in one place. And I see my brother traveling the world. So might as well join this one, get a free ride, mm -hmm. travel the world and, and enjoy life. And then maybe mm -hmm. if it's not for me, then because in Catholicism, if you want to like join a group, you have the freedom to leave whenever you want. Uh, I mean, the, you take vows, but mm -hmm. those vows are temporary. So it's not like Nexium, where it's like, you know, this is a life vow. You actually work your way up mm -hmm. and they let you know what you're signing up for. So I had this, I had this vision that this group was going to be like that because that's what I saw, how it was functioning during my mm -hmm. brother's time. But then when I joined, Unfortunately, it seems like the founder had another revelation and he's like, okay, like in my, in the middle of my first year, he's like, okay, now you're going to the Philippines. And it's like, okay. And then when we're in the Philippines, it was like, you know, everyone's out to get, there was this extreme paranoia where like the bishops are out to get us. The Freemasons are out there hiding and they're looking for us. And so we'd be like in the basements or like in, it, it was, it was weird. Okay. It was freaking mm -hmm. weird. But I joined with that good intention that this is what it was going to be mm -hmm. a free, a free expression of, mm -hmm. of, of following Christ. And I see them traveling, but when I joined, I didn't sign up for that shit. Mm. Yeah, I see. And so as you got to the group, I mean, you've already talked about some red flags, but in the beginning of joining the group, what was like what were some of the first red flags or things that bothered you or that stood out? Nothing bothered me at first. I was at totally first. hook, okay. line, sinker um, because I was just so young. And then mm -hmm. I had this. So Father Ben, he comes off as he is this like spiritual guru, like he's super holy and he's like this great exorcist. And so he has like all these gifts and then they say, Oh, he can speak tongues or, or he can read your heart. He can, they would say things like if you go to confession with him, he can smell the sins on your soul. So you cannot lie or you cannot like, you can't like get away. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. But it's like, you know, at that young age where I'm so vulnerable, like mm -hmm. it's different from what the rest of the church oh. is, is talking about. Yes. So then I'm thinking like, Oh dang, like this is the real deal. And then there would be like, there were, oh, I feel bad because there were people who were, I don't know if they were possessed or not, but like in hindsight, I mean, they would go crazy. There were like some things that I saw, which is like, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm like, we're like on this, on this compound, we're in this big house and I start arguing with another member in the, in the community. 
I start arguing and I'm ready to, I'm I'm ready to go fight it, fight this guy. Mm-hmm. And then this other person who was on the other side of the compound starts getting like a demonic attack and he's like convulsing, he's like shaking and then we hear mm-hmm. like growl we hear like growls from the other side of the community. So we go and like he's like on the floor and he he was saying that he had a demonic attack. And you know, at that time, it's like, oh snap! So the the demons are are here mm-hmm. because of what I did, because I'm oh. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to fight this this guy. Uh, so then, but but like in the Catholic Church, there's this thing where there has to be process. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to get into like the exorcism stuff, but like in the church in general, like the actual church, you can't just say, oh yeah, that person's possessed. They have to be doctors, psychiatrists. They have to yeah. uh, have a process to make sure that the person isn't having some kind of mental illness. And and the church wants to make sure that all these things are exhausted because mm-hmm. it, it can it can really turn into fanaticism. So then you have Father Bing and the rest of the community like he's possessed. We got to do exorcism. So it's like okay, now now I have to stay here. Because if if I'm bringing demons already in this uh, community, so Father Bing, he's the answer. So it was really it, it was really a red flag. Now, it's a red flag. Now at that time, it was like, oh man, this this is proof that I need to stay here. Mm-hmm. But now it's a red flag because the proper thing a priest should do is you know take his guy to a hospital or something or mm-hmm. take him to a doctor but for them it's like no 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 forget the doctor oh. the the best doctor is Jesus it's a, so that was like something that really wasn't a red flag but now that I'm out and look mm. back is a major red flag mm-hmm. and so whatever happened to that person who appeared to be you know have demonic possession did he end up being okay hopefully or no there are a bunch of like different episodes and it would happen in i i hope he's if you're listening brother you know i love you um but like in the philippines and the crazy thing is that like his pupils would turn like black like i don't know if you've seen like those exorcism movies but his pupils would turn like dark red and i'd be and i see him on the floor and there'd be like this absolute rage. Uh-huh. And so a part of me thinks that maybe he was, a, maybe there was something there because there were other people who would kind of like, you could tell there was something not working properly mm-hmm. in their mind. But with this guy, like whenever he would be around people who were angry or like it would be like in the same house, Mm-hmm. he would sense it and then he would he would collapse and then he would like get the story it was just so freaking weird but even in the philippines it, it happened at like in the middle of the night like at midnight mm-hmm. it would wow. happen like in the, in the dark but then it's like oh we got father bing and then so th- that's one example of like mm, i'm not sure what the hell is going on here but then there was this other guy who Everyone thought he was possessed except me mm-hmm. because in my mind, I'm like, dude. And at that point with the second person, I'm already older and I'm already kind of like, 
my I feel like my brain is more developed. Mm -hmm. And so this guy is always he's always um having like manifestations that he's possessed. You know, he was sort of like shrieking or like during mm -hmm. prayers, he was sort of like, you know, convulsing. But I, you know, they would get mad at me because like, oh, you don't believe. I'm like, yeah, of course. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to just believe just because he's going, ah, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, that's not proof of, you know, something being, I mean, there should be. And so I remember Father Bing was like, okay, today is a, a special day in the church. Like, let's say, for example, today is Christmas or today's Easter. I'm going to do mm -hmm. the exorcism today because today is when heaven opens up and all the demons are afraid. So this is my time to knock out the demons. So he would do exorcism every day on this guy. And I remember this guy is, um, he's like, you know, doing his he's shaking and convulsing. And then he drops the holy water. He drops the holy water and then he stops mid possession mm -hmm. And then he grabs the holy water and he's like spraying himself and he's like doing the sign of the cross. And I'm looking at Father Bing like, hello, like if someone is possessed by a demon, I mean, like, do you think they're going to be freaking stopping mid-possession to be grabbing holy water and all that? It's like, and so I, I'm in the back of my, I'm in the back of the room of the chapel. It's just me, Father Bing and this guy. And I'm thinking, what the heck am I, what, what am I looking at? And mm -hmm. then later on, because they would do exorcisms on me too. So it's like, I'd be there like, all right, you know, go ahead, do the exorcism. All right, it's all good, whatever. But then later on, I discovered that in, in the church, you know, in the proper order of things, there has to be a consent. There has to be bishop approval. There mm -hmm. has to be doctors saying that, hey, something's not, not going on right with this person and science can't explain it. So there's a huge list of things that, Father Bing just skipped and was like, no, like I'm a real exorcist. I, I know what I'm doing. So that, that to answer your question, yeah, I felt that one guy was kind of maybe had something just because he had like a knowledge of unknown things. Mm -hmm. And that unknown thing was that like someone would be fighting nearby or there was like mm -hmm. something, something like um, anger mm -hmm. and without knowing he would just flip. Mm -hmm. Whereas this other guy you know, he would just, I think he had some issues. Mm -hmm. And and then with me, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why they're doing exercises on me. It's like, all right, go, <laughs> go ahead. You know, it's like, okay. Oh, wow. That is just insane to even hear about. And like, I've heard different people talk about exorcisms and it's just always, it's so concerning too, to hear of, how they didn't you know seek the outside um perspectives like they were supposed to it's really dangerous and a lot of you know there are people who have been killed and even harmed because there wasn't that outside expertise to really deal with that so with your experience so you said that they did exorcisms on you so what was that like well they did exorcism on the whole group okay so like so we study like how exorcisms work and demonology but yeah like even though we study it in the in the group and you know i was thinking yeah we're catholic so we should be doing these things i saw them like they they teach it because you know they they read it from the books but then they skip it 
and then so like so father bing would be like all right uh today i'm going to give obedience to the deacons to do exorcism and i remember i remember specifically when i was in the philippines i was with the deacons and they were like shaking they're like um and i had this paper from father bing saying that i gotta do exorcism on y'all or like a, a long, they would call it a long deliverance prayer. Because there are different, there's like a solemn exorcism in the church. And mm -hmm. I don't remember everything. But he's like, according to the laws of the church, it says that it's supposed to be done by a priest and a priest who has been um, like specifically named by the bishop to do the job. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like the priest becomes an agent, you know, it's like he's hired not like a hitman, but, you know, to do the exorcism. And he's like, it says in the church law that, you know, it's supposed to be a priest recognized by the bishop, but Father Bing says that this is my obedience. So I, I felt that um, even the members were kind of like scared about it because it's, it's a dark, it's a dark topic that, mm -hmm. you know, the church doesn't like get into. And then Father Bing's like, oh yeah, it's okay. You know, I, I give you obedience. So it became a, a community thing and we would do it. We would do it quite often. And there was, because I don't know if you've, are you familiar with the stole that the priest wears? No. It's like, it looks like a, like a tie, but he has it like around his, oh, okay. over his shoulders. Got you. Mm -hmm. And that's called the stole. And like, when it comes to like hearing confessions or to, uh, performing like a sacrament or a sacramental, he'll use the purple stole. Mm -hmm. And so this one priest had a dream and this priest is a suck up, you know, kiss ass of father Bing pretty much. If you're listening, you're, you're a kiss ass. Okay. Anyways. Um, so he had this dream that all these people were getting possessed in the community, you know, one by one, you would see, he would see people just shaking and you know getting their convulsions and all these evil spirits in them and in the dream the stole started extending while he's doing the exorcism prayer and the this is weird <laughs> i'm trying not to laugh it's just so weird and in the dream his stole which is around his shoulder would extend and wrap around the necks of every member who was possessed and he would continue the exorcism prayer in his dream. And as he was doing that, the members were being delivered by the evil spirits. So he woke up and you know what he did is he went, he went ahead and told Father Bing. So Father Bing is like, all right, that's a sign. So they hired someone to extend their stoles. So the stole would be like 30 to 40 feet long. And so we'd be a bunch of brothers and like one priest is doing the exorcism and we're all wrapping our necks around the stole, kind of like, I don't know, like a towel. We're just wrapping, mm -hmm. wrapping it around our necks. And the thing is that we're, we're pretty much taught that any little sin, any little thing you're, you're getting cracks in your soul and that the demons are like, Mm. slipping in and you know i bought into that i bought into oh shoot well i guess we're doing this because i'm i i might not be possessed but i might have some something evil something's got to be wrong with me 
So, all right, come on, let, let's do it. You know, do the exorcism, put it around my neck. Let's let's do this. But it was only later that I started like mm, questioning where this is becoming almost like I can say superstitious. Mm. Mm. Yes, and just hearing you talk about how every little sin makes you open to that it's really again like that behavior control oh conform to the group's rules you better be perfect like following this um i'm trying to remember lipton's criteria it was like demand for purity or something that sounds like one of that of the criteria of lipton's um thought reform and you know and i relate to like the anxiety of trying not to sin and trying to follow every single rule and so as you continued on in this group what really made you question well there was a period because okay i was in the philippines from like 2000 well i joined in delaware in 2004 i got sent to the philippines in 2005 at the end of my first year or like in the middle of my first year in the Philippines and I was in, it's called San Jose. And in the middle of my time in San Jose, they were like in the middle of the night, they're like, pack your bags. You got to leave. Everyone has to leave. And already we're having this like us versus them because like the, the, nar the narrative that we had was that the Bishop is out to destroy us. And they're, um, They've been infiltrated by the Freemasons, so we got to go. Uh, so there was like a back and forth of just hiding and just an increase of paranoia. And then I got sent to uh, Dover, Delaware in 2009 again, and I'm expected to be a missionary. Instead, they have me as a like a formator. So whenever there are new brothers, I would just train them on the prayer life and I would join them for basketball. And it was actually a lot of fun. I don't, I have no regrets about that. It was, it was a great experience, but then like in 2010 or in the middle of 2010, they said they decided, or the, the superior of that community decided to put me in pretty much solitary confinement. And he was saying, like the, the way he got around with it was I remember it was like for morning prayer after morning prayers we would have this thing because our morning prayer was like at from 1 30 in the morning to like six or seven and then after the morning prayer there would be uh, it, it was called the flow of grace so the flow of grace is a, is a time where the superior of the community announces the schedule for the rest of the members mm-hmm and so he announced, okay, so for the flow of grace, um, and my name at that time was Brother Joseph. So we changed our name. So he's like, Brother Joseph, your assignment is, well, actually, and he like announced to the community, I have an announcement. Brother Joseph came up to me yesterday saying that he wanted to spend his time in prayer with Jesus. So from now on, he'll be the permanent uh, prayer warrior for the community and there's like a room it's called a it's, it's a prayer chapel and it's never supposed to be alone i mean there always has to be someone in there and for him to say that i'm a permanent adorer a permanent prayer warrior means that i gotta stay there the whole freaking time and i can't leave unless someone else comes to replace me 
so I was like in shock because I was like, I, I never signed up for that, but I can't say anything because like already I'm trained to just obey whatever they say. And even if mm -hmm. they're wrong, you just got to go with it. So for like a whole year, I'm pretty much in the prayer chapel on my own by myself. And I can hear the other, the other brothers playing basketball. I can hear them having their meals. And sometimes they'll bring the meal like to the door. And like, sometimes I'll have a break, of course. Like if I have to go pee or something, I'll ring a little bell. Like I'm in, I'm in like, oh my middle, God. like the middle ages, you uh -huh. know, like I'm ringing a little bell, like hurry uh -huh. up. And I remember they would come and replace me, but I have to be back. And because mm. that room can never be alone. So I would get in trouble sometimes because I, I would ring the bell and then I would take off and like find a place to hide and sleep. And I'd, I'd leave that person in the room for like three hours. Mm -hmm. And then, so that kind of bothered me where it's like, you know, I, you know, going back to my childhood, I've always loved prayer. I've always loved, you know, doing, you know, good mm -hmm. things with people playing basketball, fine, whatever. But they're taking something that is supposed to be good, like, like meditation. It's supposed to be something that's between you and God, no one else's business. But then they, they made it a punishment where it's like, I'm in here by myself. I have no one to talk to. And then like, sometimes I would get snacks and hide it like behind like the blessed Virgin Mary statues. Uh -huh. It's like, cause I mean, if sometimes I'm ringing the damn bell and no one comes, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of freaking hungry here. Yeah. And so I have to find ways. And that started when I was about 24, maybe 25. And that's when I started questioning. Why am I doing this? You know, when I first joined, you know, my brother and, and the rest of the community, they were either traveling around the world or within the diocese, they were doing good things. Like they were there, you know, hanging out with people, praying with people, giving like moral support. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why, why is it changing now? And then, but the thing is that in the church, it says that when you take, when you take vows, like temporary vows, you, you can still leave. And there's this thing where it's called discernment, where if you discern this isn't for you, there shouldn't be any like questions. If you want to go, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, thanks for joining. Peace out. Have a good life. But for them, it's like, if you leave us, you're going to be a misfit for the rest of your life. You're going to be infested. And God is going to curse you and your family to the eighth generation. Mm. So it's like, it's like mental stoppers. It's like, well, shit, I'm, how can I leave when yeah. I'm going to freaking curse my family? Mm -hmm. But then the church is saying, I mean, the, the, the church, the, the wider church, is saying that there should be this freedom where it's it's up to you. And so I was because we take we take temporary vows. It's like I mm -hmm. I vow or I pledge to serve uh chastity, poverty, and obedience for three years, for one year. And I remember I was finishing up my temporary, it's called temporary profession, where you profess that vow. And I told one of the superiors, hey, look, my vow is going to end in about a month or in two months. And I got to be honest, I'm done. I'm ready to leave. And his answer was like, but you're still under the vow. 
I'm like, yeah, but dude, like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not happy. He's like, why aren't you happy? I'm like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be locked up in the chapel. And then another time I got locked in the basement for three months. And it's like, I didn't sign up for this. And then like my, my chore was, <laughs> I had like, it, it was just so many different lifestyles at once. There was uh -huh. a period, there was a period where my chore was to be like a shepherd for the goats and the horses and the, and the cow. And I'm just standing outside by myself with like a freaking stick, just chilling with like farm animals. So mm -hmm. now like in my mind, I'm feeling, I feel like one of the shepherds, like a, a stable boy from the Bible. Uh -huh. I'm just yeah. waiting. I'm just waiting for baby Jesus to, to come out. And, and so, but like, I, I didn't sign up for that, man. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I feel bad for this priest because I really, I really felt that he, he himself wanted to do things right, but he was tied up too. So mm -hmm. I don't blame him uh, because if I were in his position, I'd probably give the same advice. Like, well, mm -hmm. you're still under obedience. So it's like, and then like a week later or two weeks later, they're like, here are your tickets. You're going to the Philippines. And then when I went to the Philippines, I was stuck in the jungle in the freaking middle of nowhere. And it's like, there's no way to come back home. But in my mind, I've already, I already felt that I was ready to go home. Mm -hmm. I felt that I had discerned and that I had made up my mind that this place isn't for me because they're not doing their part of the bargain. I signed up to be a missionary, to do good things. And I didn't sign up to be caged up. But because mm. the way they twisted obedience, I had no say. Mm. And you mentioned earlier being locked in a basement. Could you dig into that more? Because when you said that, I was like, what? <laughs> what? So please dig into that more. That's just, just a shocking statement to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, oh. So, so my whole time as a as a brother in Dover, Delaware, uh -huh. uh, as as a as a missionary supposed to be i'm a missionary was from 2009 to 2012 and there'd be like pockets of time where i'd be allowed to do missionary work so like i'd be like for like five days of the week i'd be in, in that chapel in that prayer room by myself mm -hmm. and then they're like hey we don't have we don't have enough manpower we need you to teach uh teach who uh, like elementary and high school homeschoolers in pennsylvania and I was like, yeah, guys, but remember, um, you pulled me out before I even finished high school. So mm, wow. like, yeah, but obedience. So you should be good. <laughs> so I'd go to Pennsylvania and like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like teaching the kids, but I'm just using the freaking books and you just read and, you know, I just, all right, guys, do your homework. It was simple, simple work, you know, mm -hmm. and lead them in prayer. And that was it. Um, but it was messing with my mind that because when those kids graduated i remember they were like we want to thank brother joseph you know you're we we love you you're cool and i see them getting their diplomas and like in the back like if you were to look at me i had i had smile on my face and i was very happy but behind my eyes i was crying because mm. i never experienced that um. so, so what i'm trying to get to is how i did have some exposure like i guess when they saw that i was getting too like 
crazy being stuck in isolation. They would mm -hmm. let me out. And then eventually they sent me to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. After my one year of that solitary confinement in the chapel, I finally got a break mm -hmm. and I got, sorry, I got sent to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And this is like my first mission, like a big mission and everything is going great. But there is this other group that father being made, he made six different groups mm -hmm. and we're all supposed to work together. And these sisters are called the Sith sisters, S I T H. Mm -hmm. So they get there like right before the actual event starts. I've already mm -hmm. been to Puerto Rico for two weeks. I've set up with the other brothers, you know, activities, you know, scheduling. And then they get there and they just start yelling at me. And it's like, it's at, it's like at midnight or like at 1 a.m. Like you brothers, you know, you like you good for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's all in Filipino. And at that time, I didn't really know the language too much. But I was pissed off. Oh my dude, like I'm like in my mind, I'm thinking I set up all like me and the other brothers and some other sisters from the other group. We've worked our asses off. And then like I'm thinking, my who the hell is this chick coming here? Because I know that Father Bing kisses their ass. And so and so they come and they're yelling at me. And so I tell uh, I tell this this sister, like, look, back the hell off leave me alone like we're not doing anything what the hell are you complaining about and no one i mean you're not supposed to do that especially to these sisters because they're like you know all holy holy and the the way we saw it was that they had a right to correct you and you have to keep quiet bow your head like a submissive you know very submissive and just suck it up but i just came out of isolation for a year Mm -hmm. And so she's like poking at me. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm like, what? I'm like, chill out, lady. And then I got in trouble for that. And then, but like the way we're also taught is that when you do an infraction or like a mistake, you're supposed to like be repentant and mm -hmm. you're supposed to ask for like penance. So I had to like swallow my pride. And like after the event, um, I was supposed to stay for like an extra month in Puerto Rico, but because the sisters got, or I, because I offended that one sister, mm -hmm. I got kicked out. I got kicked out of the mission and I went back to Dover, Delaware. Mm -hmm. So I see father Bing, and I, I've been thinking about it. Oh man, I have to, re I have to be repentant. I have to go and, you know, ask for repentance. And so I go to Father Bing, hey, look, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. You know, please, like, I want to I want to make it up. And he goes, okay, well, and he tells the other priest, he's like, well, have him in the basement for three months. And in the basement, we made we made it, we, excuse me, we had like a um, a nickname. It was called, I think, the End Times Dungeon, because our, oh. menta our, <laughs> our mentality was wow. that like, there's going to be a nuclear war at any moment. And in the, in the basement, we had it like preppers. We had like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, we had things ready. We had like the pantry ready. We made like an extra bathroom, uh, toilets and like a little, sh I don't know, like a well, we had like a well down there and we had like bicycles. So for mm -hmm. electricity to like run the battery. So father being was like, okay, well, 
your penance will be to stay down there for three months and you can pretty much, you know, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's like, you can pretty much be the guinea pig and, you know, see how, see how you, see how you survived down there. It's like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, All right, cool. Whatever. And, and I'm, I'm kind of mixed with, I'm not happy, but even though I'm not happy, I took a vow and I'm mm-hmm. going to obey whatever it is you did. And I felt bad because I guess I fell when I told that sister to pretty much back the hell off. So yeah. I felt like, oh man, like I, I've, um, I've made so many transgressions, but then later on, I'm thinking, well, what about that chick? I mean, yeah, freaking yelling at me anyways. So I took, I, you have to stop your thinking and just go with, go with the flow. So I'm downstairs and I'm just in the room and I'm actually, I, I had access to language books because I guess people saw me and I like languages. So people just give me language books and it's like, mm-hmm. well, these books aren't going to cause you to sin, you know? So it's, so I just passed the time, you know, doing that and, you know, just reading, you know, Espanol or French, whatever, just, I mean, three months down there. I mean, what? there's no TV, there's no internet, no, no telephone. What else am I going to do? So like, you know, how, how did you eat? Oh, canned food that was expired like in 2008. Oh. It's like 2011, but it's like, well, they taught us, well, it's okay because when you're in the end times, you can't be picky. If it's mm-hmm. expired and there's nothing else being produced, are you going to be like, ew, I'm not going to eat that. No, you can't because there's nothing else around. So you got to eat what you got. So like I'd be eating like a feast. I'm like, sure, whatever, you know, I'd be eating. But in the back of my mind, it's like, why the hell am I eating this crap? It's all 2008. Like, come on. Like, I mean, you got, I mean, the end times isn't here. Like, I'm kind of thinking like, because I can't talk to them openly. Because if I talk mm-hmm. openly, I'm going to get my ass beat or something. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why, why can't you guys just go to the freaking Walmart and buy me new stuff? Like, why do I got to, but you can't question. So it was, it was actually kind of fun because mm-hmm. like in, in the middle of it, I said, the hell with this, I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would play with the goats and the chickens and it, it was a weird lifestyle. I'll just say that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm so sorry you had to go through all of that. And how did you, what was the process of getting out of that group? <clears throat> oh man. So so I told one of the superiors in 2012, and I mentioned it earlier, that I I felt that my vows are done. They're about mm-hmm. to expire. And his response was, well, you still got like two months or whatever. And so they sent me to the Philippines. So when I went to the Philippines in 2000, uh, at the end of 2012, so pretty much 2013, I was actually happy to be you know with some familiar faces i'm not anymore in solitary confinement now i'm going out to do actual mission work and it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun i you know or i would just sing in the choir at church it was cool and like it but it put me like on this like uh what do you call those games that kids play where it's going like up and down um i talked about see the seesaw or seesaw yeah yeah 
So I felt like I'm on a seesaw. So I, I still felt kind of awkward, but it's like, hey, at least I'm enjoying this period. Because mm -hmm. that superior, every community you go to, your superior changes. Mm -hmm. So it could be a good superior or it could be a prick. Mm -hmm. And so for the first part, I had this good superior who was very open. Like, if you want to read books, go ahead. But then like the the major order wanted more like indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And so like, mm, like I'm happy, but I'm also like, uh, I, I'm on the edge. And then they switched this priest who I thought was very good. And then they, they put in this other person who is very abusive. Mm. Like, so and I think I've stated it in my podcast on the cult vault or even on my own podcast. Um, but there was a time where I got beat, you know, just for mm. nothing in front of all the brothers, you know, and they had to take turns, you know, whipping me. And, oh. and it's like, well, why that? And I remember telling this priest, like, Hey, look, I don't feel, I don't feel that this place is for me, dude. I need, I need help. I'm I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with my life because my life my world was crumbling before my eyes. It's supposed to be a place of safety but it's like now I'm getting beat. And mm. so that guy who ordered me to get beat, I have to go to him and it's like hey dude, oh. I need I need direction dude like I need help because I know this is our lifestyle but I I feel kind of and he like stops me. He's like I don't need to hear you complaining. You know, you got to be a man about this. Mm. Like, okay. So I write a letter expressing how spiritually drained, how lost I feel. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like someone who's thirsting for guidance, for some kind of a spiritual nourishment, for direction. And instead of direction, I'm just getting beat or I'm mm. just getting, you know, told, you know, man up. Yeah. So like the next day in the sermon, he stated you know, there's a certain member who uh, wrote to me saying that he's struggling with uh, some issues. Well, he's a gay. He's worse than a gay person. He's mm. like a sissy. And this is all in, in the Filipino language. Uh -huh. But at, at that time, I'm understanding the yeah. language and I'm pissed off. Mm. So it's like, all right, I get my ass beat. I, I stay in solitary confinement. I get like false accusations because they were accusing me of, oh, you're talking to chicks on the side. You're talking to girls. You're probably mm -hmm. dating someone. And they would use that to justify, you know, taking away meals or mm -hmm. to like put me in isolation. So when, when that was the response by this guy that I'm homosexual, that mm -hmm. I must be homosexual for, for sharing, expressing in the letter that I need help. My thought was, all right, if I'm paying the price for a crime that I haven't committed, mm -hmm. might as well do the crime. So that was when like slowly, cause I had never really dated before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had never like been with anybody. So I, I found a way to go out and I started dating. Mm -hmm. And that was my, my way out of the community, but mentally I was struggling because mm -hmm. the group, the group says you're still under the vow, even though my vow had expired because this, mm -hmm. this, this is now a year's 
a year's length after my vows expired. But then like, it, so I, I'm in this bubble where it's like, I'm supposed to follow the vows, but yet my vows are expired. And like, in my head, I'm like, I think I'm allowed to date, but I, I know I'm going to get in trouble. So just my world was just crumbling. So in the end, I pretty much told the main superior in the Philippines, I respect you, but it's time for me to leave. And according to Catholic church law, it should be all right. Thank you very much. No questions. You know, like, how can we help you on your way out? It should be like that. But mm -hmm. instead, his response was, amigo, I, we need you to stay, buddy. We need you to be a missionary. Don't you want to travel the world and, you know, be with me? And I was like, dude, I've been here for 11 years. And now you want me to be a missionary? Like, come on, dude. You're just doing that to trick me to get to stay. And then he was very, then this is the same guy earlier who I said had a dream of the stole stretching and the exorcisms. Mm -hmm. So then he looks at me and he's like, you know, amigo, um, I had a dream that you were possessed by demons. You know, so what's really going on? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dude, like I shouldn't even be asked this. If I've already expressed, I want to leave. And it should, it should have been, you know, thank you for your service. Have a good life. We, we wish you the best here's a check for, you know, $10,000 for your, your 11 years here. But instead it wasn't like that. So I told them, well, look, I've, I've kind of broken my vow of chastity. And oh, I said, you told them that I had to, it was like, this is my, this is the, what else mm -hmm. I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wanted, what was the reaction to that? His reaction was, oh yeah, we, we can't have that. And so I was like, okay, so I'm free to go. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're free to go. It's like, okay, well, you, you could have been that smooth about it earlier. I mean, he was very smooth. Like, oh, you violated chastity? Well, at first, actually, sorry, I take that back. At first, he was like, well, you know, it's, it's okay, you know? And sometimes we have, you know, some people fall. And I was like, no, I really fell. I really, like, gave into uh, violating my chastity. And he's like, well... Okay, then. And then later on, he like asked me again, like, hey, so um, what do you mean that you violated your chastity? You never gave me any, you know, oh my um, God. details. And I was like, I was with the, I was with a woman. Okay. You know, I, I took care of business. Uh huh. And he's like, really? Yeah. Right. Okay. But then later on, I found out that he told the other superiors that, oh, yeah, he's getting, Ryan is getting kicked out because he violated his chastity. And that pissed me off so much because I didn't want that to be the narrative. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I wanted was, you know, three years before when I asked to leave, I wanted my, my decision to be respected. And mm -hmm. I had to suck it up for three years. And when I asked this guy, hey, I think it's time for me to leave, I was hoping that he would be christian enough to respect that mm -hmm. but the thing is that i had to i had to sleep with a woman and i felt terrible because like i had never been with a woman i don't know what i don't know what to do you know it's like and you know it's i don't want to get into mm -hmm. 
yeah but like it, it was just a terrible experience because i was doing this and it it, it felt good but also like my guilt which mm. is so extreme because i i wanted you know when i wanted to leave three years earlier my goal was to go to school i wasn't so broken at that time but i wanted to go to school you know find a a nice woman to to date or to marry and carry on with mm -hmm. my life but they took that chance away from me and and so i felt that i had to kind of commit like the worst thing i had to make myself dirty in their eyes so that they can finally let me go mm. wow wow and so what i'm sure there were so many conflicting emotions but when you did finally leave what was that like for you the first day i remember walking down the hill on the compound i still live there but like spiritually i feel that i'm no longer a member so like I'm still there because it's like where else am I gonna go? And I just remember, and it's a it's a bright day. It's hot as hell over there. Um, but I think it was just hot just because. I guess the guilt in me just made made the feeling even more intense, and I remember feeling. I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, during my eleven years, life was tough." But at least I had God's protection. And now that I'm out, now that I'm no longer a member, you know, from what Father Bing has taught, you know, God's hand over me, protecting me, is no longer there. Now there's a dark cloud of evil. Mm. And I would replay in my mind things that Father Bing taught us. He would tell us to repeat after him, I'm good for nothing. I'm mm. worth nothing. And so that's all like, coming back to my mind. And he would always say that if you leave us, you're going to be a misfit for the rest of your life. And God is going to have no place for you. And that your family to the eighth generation is going to be cursed. Mm -hmm. So what was going through my mind emotionally was that there's no point of living. Mm. Like, what's the point of living? But then... It's like, I know the rest of Catholic doctrine. And I know like, it's like, there's that, like you said, there's a, a conflict, uh, conflicting emotions mm -hmm. and thoughts. Because like, I know in the bigger church, it's like, it's not so quick to judge on who goes to hell. Mm -hmm. the, I don't think the church does that. You know, like condemn someone, oh, you are going to hell. Maybe individuals do. But then it's like, well, Father Bing is saying I'm going to hell pretty much. But then, you know, Christianity in general, you know, there's that idea of salvation. It, it was just so hard to grasp. Like, what world am I in? Mm -hmm. And so as you left that, what has your healing and recovery journey been like? Well, after leaving, they said that they want a year of separation from you and the community. Like, they don't want to talk mm -hmm. to you. Wow. Um, so, like, a year passed, and I was back in America, and I had felt so lost. 
because for so long I had been trained to depend on them. So after a year, I called them up and I, and I knew that they were in Alabama now because they got kicked out of Delaware. They got kicked out of LA. They got kicked out of Delaware and now they were in Alabama. And so I reached out and said, Hey, look, I've been gone for over a year and I need some direction. I need some spiritual nourishment. And so can I go, go visit? Sure. No problem. So I drive like 16, 18 hours. I don't know how far it is from uh, San Antonio to Alabama. Mm -hmm. But when I got there, the sisters, the ones who I mentioned before, the Sith, they're like, you need to get out of here. And I'm thinking, well, like, why? Like, my thought is like, why are you kicking me when I'm down? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm already down. I'm here for just to talk to get some guidance. Yeah. Like, no, you're an ex member. You need to get out of here. And I'm thinking, so I drove all this way just for you guys to freaking like put it in my face that I'm an ex brother. And one of the sisters, she's a, she's a good sister. Sadly, she's in that cult. She was like, sorry, brother, you know, that the sister is treating you like that, but those are the rules. And I told her, well, your rules are bullshit. So then mother Agnes, who's like the sidekick of father Bing, she comes out and she's like, how dare you say that our rules are bullshit. I'm like, well, shoot, they are. I mean, I, I call up, I, I come drive 16 hours and you guys giving me this treatment. And then she starts yelling at me. You know, how dare you come here? And I yelled back. I'm like, look, I don't care who the hell you are. You're not my superior anymore. I'm not no brother Joseph. I'm not going to bow my head and be, oh yeah, sorry. I'm not mm -hmm. going to do that. She's like, what is your problem, Ryan? I'm like, look, I just came here to have a civil discussion and to have some freaking guidance. And then you and your stupid sisters are telling me to get the hell out of here. You think I'm going to be, oh, thank you. Like how, how I was as a brother. No, now I'm, I'm not part of this group. So I expect you to treat me with respect. And she starts yelling some more. We start yelling back and forth. And then she notices that there are people around. And then she's like, Ryan, calm down. You know, people might notice. And I said, yeah, you, you didn't have a problem yelling at me in front of the community all those times when I was a member. And mm. now that someone is speaking back to you, you don't like it. And now, now you care how people will think. How about me when I was in the community? I would cry in front of the community because I was always so ashamed. Mm. If you want to be respected, you need to respect me. I'm mm -hmm. not going to take that. And then she's like, why are you being such an asshole? And <laughs> oh I, my God. I start, I start laughing. Like, are you serious? Like I, you're calling me the asshole. And I shared to her, like all the things that happened to me, like the beatings, like the, just the terrible life. And mm -hmm. she's like laughing about it. Yeah. <laughs> but you left bad. We know how you left. So it's like, okay, so they know that I violated my chastity. So then I told her, look, we're fighting. I understand this sucks. I didn't come here to fight. Mm -hmm. I didn't come here to argue. I just came here to make peace with y'all. And a lot of ex-members are broken. A lot of mm -hmm. ex-members hate you guys because how you, of how you treat them. And then she's like, no, Ryan. We treat our sisters with respect and dignity. 
and we help them when they leave. And I was like, you're lying. I've traveled all over the Philippines. I've traveled all over Australia. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to people in Canada. I've spoken to people all over the US and they have so much brokenness because of how you treat them. And so she was really pissed off, but I, I didn't really give a shit anymore at that moment. So she's like, okay, look, I'm going to set up a meeting with you and Father Bing. I'm like, thank you. That's why I drove 16 freaking hours for. Mm -hmm. And I had permission to be here. So it's like, so I go and sit with Father Bing. And there's like a timer, like those uh, sand timers. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you call them. Um, <laughs> like days of our lives, you know, the little timer with the sand uh -huh. dropping. And he's in charge of the conversation. And he's pretty much telling me, like, look, uh, you need to spend more time away from, from us because if people see you, the, our members or our supporters, they're going to be scandalized because you're no longer a brother. And that's the sin of scandal. And allow me to talk to them so they can get used to you, which I know is full of shit because he, mm -hmm. he always likes to put down ex-members. But he's like, you know what? Just take time to stay away from us. And what I want, what you should do is become a nurse or something, get a good job where you can get, you know, a good uh, income. And then later on, you know, once you start coming back and supporting us, not as a brother, but like as a supporter, uh -huh. you can financially help us. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm still kind of in, it's like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I see this as obedience. So it's like, I got to do this. So I'm like, okay, I, I'll, I'll work on that. And then he's like, and before we finish, you know, gossip, that's a mortal sin. That's a big sin. You can go to hell for that. So if you speak and say anything about us, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a mortal sin. That's like pretty much saying, if you speak up, that's gossip and you're going to go to hell. So I left yeah. kind of like very disturbed and not, I was looking for nourishment, but instead I just felt that I was, I went as like someone so wounded seeking for my wounds to be healed. And yet they still kicked me while I was mm. down. But then as I left, so something I had to deconstruct was he's full of shit speaking up about my trauma speaking up mm -hmm. about the, the things that i saw that's not gossip that's my story mm -hmm. and i don't think god is going to say oh you're going to help for speaking up I'm like if anything i think he's the one committing the sin for mm -hmm. covering up the crimes that yeah. are happening and for recruiting vulnerable persons who want to do good things in life mm -hmm. And then keeping them because when they keep you, it's like, or like for me, they, they recruited me and they sent me to the Philippines. And when they sent me to the Philippines, I get to call my mom and dad and say, Hey mom, dad, we need money. So I get money, you know, monthly, I get money sent to the community and yet we're not eating. Mm -hmm. We don't have clothes. We have terrible life. So if anything, I think that it took me a while to deconstruct because I thought that if I spoke anything mm -hmm. negatively, 
that I'm going to be an agent of Satan and that I'm going to be I'm going to be ruining something that's good. But then I started thinking if it's good then it should be it should be transparent. And mm -hmm. if if it's good why are they afraid to be honest with the family members? Why are they afraid to be honest with the church, you know, with the Vatican? Mm -hmm. There's something wrong going here. So that that was like the main thing that I had to to deconstruct was that guilt, and so that that's what led me to my podcast because like for like several years, six years, I had to pretend that I'm happy, mm -hmm. and people still saw me like a priest. Yeah, and it's like I'm not a I'm not a freaking religious anymore. So when I did the podcast, I just did it for my own healing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I saw that many ex-members from the group were like, not all, there are a bunch who like hate my guts. Mm -hmm. But I felt that there were some who were like, thank you. Yeah. About time someone speaks up about the abuses and the manipulation that happened in that place. Mm, yes, yes. And I'm so glad that you're able to feel like you could speak up because it's so so awful of how these groups all the abuse that you go through and then they try to silence you they don't want you to talk about it their reputation is really more important than anything they've done to anyone they price that above anything and everything else so i'm so glad that you were able to eventually have the courage to speak up and share the abuse that you went through and be vulnerable and you know launch a podcast and help other people so yeah thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared and your bravery and i want to give you a space for anything else that you would like to talk about or mention um i guess i, I want to talk to those who are still in the group mm those who are still, because the group had a split where one decided to be transparent with the family members and with the Vatican and, you know, to, to not have that abusive lifestyle anymore. And the other side of the group decided, oh, Father Bing is the way to follow. And we have to, we have to follow him because the Holy Spirit is with him and yet there's got to be abuses going on mm -hmm. i mean it, it's a cycle it, it doesn't stop so i want to yeah. talk to them like if you're listening they would tell us that we're doing these things for the greater glory of god but it's abuse mm -hmm. and abuse is never for the glory of God. When you start doing that for the glory of God, it's because you've twisted things. Father Bing has twisted things. Mother Agnes has twisted things to have you under their thumb. Mm -hmm. I pray that you get free mentally and emotionally from those shackles because up to now, I'm still struggling and it's a long process. But the sooner you start, the better. So I just want, if, if you're still there and you're afraid, you're afraid to leave because it's going to be a hard process. 
I'm happier now that I'm out than I ever was inside that community because every day in that community, I had to lie to myself. I had to lie to my family. I had to lie to the church community. And mm -hmm. I had to lie to God because I knew that what I was in was manipulative. I knew that they were twisting things. But because they said, for the greater glory of God, we're doing this, I stayed there. But it's a lie. So mm -hmm. I just hope that you guys are able to see that and break free. That's all. Mm, yes. Wow. Thank you again, Brian, for sharing that and being vulnerable and telling your story. Um, I've been more than happy to give you a space to tell your story. And I love the work that you're doing. And for people listening, like, please listen to his podcast. I have it linked in the show notes and his social media. Thank you again for everyone listening. And this was Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.